You're listening to the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT podcast. I'm your host and curator, Rabbi Aprom Kivalevich, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Should start. Okay. Good afternoon. Uh, this is a re-recording uh, of last Thursday's class. Uh, so if it doesn't have some of the tenor and input and electricity that our usual classes have, it's because there was some problem with the last recording. So we're going to re-record and hopefully bring out the same points if we can. And I have a much smaller audience. I appreciate uh, uh, the people, persons that are here uh, allowing me to re-record this. And um, I feel free to, to kick in as usual, despite the fact that we're in a little bit of a, a small environment. So the Shear was sponsored by uh, uh, Menachem, Marcelo Fisher, uh, as a schuss for his grandsons. And uh, there's Yaakov, who's three, and the, a great pasuk for that is the pasuk in Tehillim. Yismach Tzadik Vashem V'chosoboy. You know, the tzaddik, of course, has a sense of simcha, and still other, of course, and the tzaddik has a great sense of simcha in God. And he trusts in God, the And really, from the tzaddik's avoda, really all people who are trying to be straight in their hearts, uh, they also come to praise God, seeing the great simcha of the tzaddik. And of course, this, I think, should be a, a, a message for, 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 for you, Marcel, and also for Yaakov. And the newest addition to the Zegobam Fisher family. And the bris was, as we said on Tuesday, Yom Shenifel Kitov, Yehuda Tzvi. And for Yehuda, sort of a long Pasuk here in Tvarim, but I think a very important Pasuk that deals with the brachos of Klau Yisrael, which are, again, uh, the, got a little bit reversed here on the board, but so I'm reading it from my from my phone. Yiftach Hashem Lecho Es Otsro Hatov. That's what we want. Obviously, we want Gashmias. We want to be able God to open up his, his storage house to give us what we need for the land to produce properly. And everything, and this way, we will be people of means and we'll be the ones lending money. Not being in a way of borrowing, Atali Silva. So the new child should always have the best of of, a, of of that Gashmi, not being in a state when he has to need anything. But also, his name, his second name is Tzvi. And this is from the Pusik in Yeshayahu, where, again, the words it should be Tsar. <laughs> let it be tied, let it be strongly tied to Udad, the consciousness and the mentality of. Of, of God and, prof- and prophecy and chasom Torah be'limudai that Torah should be sealed among the people that learn him and again Gashmias and of course also being so strong in Limanat Torah and Ruchnias these I think are, are, are brachas that we in the IDT family wish for you Marcelo and for your children for Yaakov and Yehud your grandchildren should only have, have nachas Okay, now, Marcel also mentioned that today, or at least when we gave the shear, which was last week, was also the yard site of the great tzaddik, the Noim Melech, who has, as we know, the date of his death, the 21st of Adar, as, as, as I write here, the Batsina de Nahira tzaddik, Yisoy Reilam, Maitre Svodeiros, 
clearly the Rebbe of Elimelech, that, that uh, the author of, of the Sefer Neim Elimelech, uh, and through the stories about his his, his holiness, uh, what he stood for, and the fact that people are going to his grave, to daven there for him, uh, he should his his memory should be as for us. And actually, part of what I'm going to talk about today is really connected to the Hanhoga that we see by Rebbes and, and, and by Chassidim and by Rebbes specifically. And that's, and in some ways, it's sort of a question as to whether, although the behavior could be laudatory, is it something that we could emulate and is it something that we can actually model ourselves after? Or, or maybe we have no right to, to be as we've seen some Rebbes and some people who are like. Now, you'll see what I'm talking about in a second. Um, as we careen into the Yemea Gula, which is really true, uh, so right upon us, readying ourselves, the many responsibilities of cleaning and preparing, um, the Trumas and Paiskamshir presents the first, this is our first presentation, hopefully we'll be able to do the other two as well, um, because in the age of the knowledge of the effects of alcohol, gluten, <laughs> raw vegetables on the human body, uh, this upcoming holiday puts the spotlight on getting sick over mitzvahs, <laughs> which is what happens. Um, and I actually believe through a little bit of research that I'm doing on some of this material that the questions really started to arise when the communities became more, at least a culturally more attuned to having doctors and people diagnosing what was wrong with them. When people would come and say, you know, the doctor would say, you know, you can't have wheat. You, well, that's today, but you can't be drinking this alcohol, uh, eating uh, this type of horseradish root or whatever it was they were eating would be, this is what's making you ill. Now, of course, there was always shamans and doctors and all types of things, but the the specificity of the medical knowledge, I think, had increased to the point and people's engagement with it was that these questions start to appear over the last 200 years or so, in ways that we don't see them appearing 500, 600, 800 years ago, Shilas about, what should I do? Doctor says, if I, if, if I drink, if I, if I have matzah, it's going to be dangerous. I can't have this amount of wine. And this is where the post can really, as we're going to see, someone, some like diverge, is, 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 is there a, a principle here about not getting sick over mitzvahs? And we're going to talk, I think, today, uh, although this is relevant, not so much about, of course, putting yourself, your life in danger over it, but in terms of perhaps giving yourself stomach issues, giving yourself head, terrible headaches, migraines, and things like that. Is it, would we say that the Torah really doesn't call that, you know, is, is the Torah, does the Torah ask us for that? So again, Pesach is definitely where most of the questions came up. But as we're still maybe remembering the reveling of Purim, I uh, thought so maybe I would start if, in, a, in a Purim place for a while because, you know, they always say um, to talk about what you know. And in terms of Pesach, I'm okay. Um, well, maybe not so much depends about the terms, but, but, but Purim, I have... Uh, certain health issues that have, and my wife is very, very uh, adamant uh, that I shouldn't, and I don't always listen to her, <laughs> about not drinking on Purim. Hmm. 
Now, I take uh, 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 I take a certain medication uh, that precludes the drinking of anything with alcoholic content hmm. or having alcoholic content. The medication is um, uh, is it sort of like becomes it's a strong enough as it is, and when it, when the alcohol is added to, if you put alcohol in your system, it actually combines in a way that is a lot more intense and not necessarily where a person would want to be. Right. And yet, okay, you know, I'm not going to not take the medication. On the other hand, people come into my house, you know, regular leverage. Ah, where are you? You have to sit down here. And then, you know, and they'll sit down at the table and start, the wine is all over the table, you know, and, and, and start pouring it. And what am, okay, I'm not just going to watch. And you know that's generally what happens. Um, and 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 the issue is, well, look, if you have this condition, maybe you shouldn't drink on Purim. Okay, we're not even getting into the question of whether whether you should drink on Purim. Let's even assume that the that, that the approach of those reshown him that you're supposed to drink on Purim is correct. But if a person has a situation, a condition where drinking puts him in a certain state, that's perhaps where he shouldn't be, then maybe he shouldn't be drinking on Purim, not because he's going to miss davening afterwards or not be able to bench. That's not really the question. The question is, the state itself is something that could be somewhat unhealthy for him. That's something, therefore, he should resist. And obviously, the mitzvah doesn't, doesn't apply to him. In my wife's case, uh, in my son's case as well, we have issues with gluten uh, and and the problem of what sort of matzah uh, to have, and so I want to talk about that as well, um, and and what one should do. Um, so let's talk a little bit about Purim because I think it's just an interesting place, and also it's a little bit of an indicator of of not necessarily accepting everything that you see that's written, and you'll see what I mean. So, um, the last couple of weeks, this was being circulated, and again, I always this is from uh, Rabbi Yitzhak Yosef. Who is Chacham uh, Avadi's son? That's Chacham Avadi's Atzal's son. I wasn't able to trace this in in this in this in Chacham Avadi himself, but as we've said before, Rabbi Yosef is a very authentic and <coughs> yeah, and he and he also you know that whatever he said, it's probably somewhere by his dad. It's probably somewhere. So again, I apologize. This obviously people could quote it. Uh, you know, chapter and verse exactly where Chacham Avadya says this, but I want to show you this. Chacham uh, says, again, speaking about drinking, he says, B'stei Chemed, and B'stei Chemed is an encyclopedic work written by um, Rav Chaim Cheskeo Medini, who was a Sephardi Rav who lived in in the in the, in the Gros, you know, in the Georgian part, not not the mm-hmm. southern Georgia, not, not you know, maybe southern Georgia, but not, not what we call Georgia, right? Not where I come from. So he was a Rav in Georgia, in the Georgian uh, area, and he wrote uh, a nine-volume encyclopedic work, and it's not like each page, it's got four, each page has got four big columns. So it's really a huge work, thousands of pages of collecting material and uh, it's basically it's, uh, it's basically alphabetic, but it's very difficult to find, even with the and I, I searched for hours to find this, even with um, the indexes that are available. <laughs> but here it's quoted: "Hevi b'shem agon mi Vilna 
that the Vilnagon drank till a point that he was in actual danger of his life. Why? This is the famous Gemara in, in Megillah. Using that word Chayav, that's like a person goes to the point of almost giving his life in danger. Chayev means to put your life in danger. Now again, those are the three lines. And, and, and of course, the pedigree of this statement is the Vilna Gaon, right? And now the Vilna Gaon says, when it says Chayev, you have to push yourself into Sakana. It says Chayev, you have to up it to the point of a Sakana. And that's why the guy, and according to this, would would, would 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 drink to the point where people were afraid for his life. That's what the impression you have. Now, Chalcom Avadi, of course, and, and Rabbi Yosef doesn't leave it that way. He says, well, this goes against all these other sources. Did the Vilna Gon actually say it? However, mm-hmm. the Vilna Gon would answer himself, "This is this truly the Vilna Gon? So, um, you know, I, I, I'm reminded by the, you know, I don't know if it's hagiographic, I think it's probably true. They say that the great uh, genius and and one and, and Sadik really, Rav Chaim Salvechik, uh, the grandfather of Rabbi Yosheber in Boston, uh, and the son of of the Beis Halevi, um, was once uh, engaging in study and learning with another respected Talmud Chacham who wanted to impress him with an idea that he was basing on the words of a Tosfos in uh, in Zvachim. Maybe it was not in Zvachim. It was one of the more uh, place that not everybody was that familiar with. Maybe it was Chrysos, whatever it was on the bottom there. So uh, when Rav Chaim heard the person basing his idea on on the Tosfos, he says, "In Yiddish, there is no such Tosfos like that." And the person was getting no such tesis. I'm telling you, there is. I saw it, and it's what I based on. Right? So, they, of course, they went to the bookshelf and they brought the tesis out. And the person, of course, was embarrassed when he looked there and he saw that the way he had read it and the way he was impri- implying was not exactly was not what tesis had said. Right? As uh, Simon Garfunkel wrote, or as actually Simon wrote, a man sees what he wants to see. Right? <laughs> Disregards the rest. Right. Lie, lie, lie. So the person actually, right? Yeah. The person sees what he sometimes, you're so happy about, you know, when you get justification about what you want, that you see what you want. And that's okay, I'm, I'm Odin. So he closed his safer and Rechaim was vindicated. So they say that that his son was watching this and he said, or was, he said, Rebbe, he says, Tate, you know, Hashem, this is what, that's what learning does. You know, every you have every Tysus and Shas in your head. He says, "Don't. No, it's nishtemis. I don't have every. It's not like I have a walk around with the memory of every tesis. But I know that tesis couldn't have said this. I know enough about the approach <laughs> of the Balei tesis that this was an idea that couldn't have been said by them. It's 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 not correct. The idea itself is is wrong, and therefore it can't it's really. Yeah, go ahead. It's anathema. So what uh, the you know, the Rav knew what to be." Right, so in other words, it went against things, and he, therefore the tesis, the which he was so familiar with, which of course it's, a, it's not one monolithic tesis. Tesis, of course, is a different uh, is a different uh, safer on every masechta, but te, but he knew that couldn't be correct. Similarly, I guess when I read this, I say this can't be the guy. 
This can't be. It can't be the guy. I mean, I, again, I've done a. I've gone through the Sefer Maiserav, which is the the the, the Sefer that originally talked about the Vilna Gaon's uh, attitude and the Vilna Gaon's halachic stances on things. And I don't remember this. And it doesn't sound like the Vilna Gaon either. You know, it doesn't sound <laughs> the Vilna Gaon that he would drink to the point and that he saw. Look at him. He's the man's uh, the man's Allah. He's all passed out there and making such. But I I did it. No, but stay time and quotes it, so I had to try to find it. So after some a little bit of research, I found it, and and I think it doesn't say what they think it says. (laughs) Okay. So I found this Teichem. This limit actually talks about this idea of um, hyperbole in the language of the rabbis. This is what this piece is about. It's about when the rabbis say that if a person does this, he's chayav misa. Person that goes against the words of the rabbis, he's chayev, he's deserving of death. Chayev misa. Are you really chayev misa, right? So again, sometimes the rabbis spoke in a very strong way because they wanted to stop people from doing stuff. What is it in this case? So in Genesis, he starts an essay about this. In the middle of the essay, he quotes here. Again, I'll do my research. I haven't done it properly, but I, I, I this is David Shifman. Besifroi, this is his book, Habikurim Barayon. Okay. So it's not Chaim Chizki Medini, the editor of the Stechamed. It is David Shifman's letter. Now look at this letter. He says. He says, I'm not going to try to answer up what I wrote. Because I don't want to give, I don't want to give like tortured answers that aren't correct. Because he says, modem de Rabbanon, again a little play, I admit, Rabbi should always admit when they're wrong. When I was writing something and I was hurried, I didn't see the source that you mentioned. I only saw an ancillary source, and I didn't actually do my research and see the original source. He says, and I actually wrote, my book, I actually wrote in the introduction that it's made out of different chapters, I wrote it very quickly. Right? People wrote me questions, so I quickly answered them back. My main objective was to quickly get back to them. But I wasn't so careful in the way I wrote back and making it exact. Um... Vikashani Osa Imo Ayom, like I'm trying to do now. So he says, you know, I realize that the Mishnah says the term that they were talking about, the Mishnah uses the word Chayev Misa, this word. Um, and I wrote on the side, I see in my notes, many, many places where the rabbis say Chayev Misa, and sometimes it means he really is deserving of death. And he quotes a Gemara in Sanhedrin. And then he says, now, I, the reason I, I went so far to read this earlier part is that this is a man who is admitting that he sometimes writes without carefulness. He feels that it's important to get the ideas across, but he shouldn't be judged for being inexact. 
Okay, so once a person already makes that type of, this is the source, I'm sure he was a, a, a wonderful scholar in his way, but every word exact was not exactly <laughs> plan words. It wasn't his forte. But he was discussing this idea of, of Chiyuv, and he said, um, you have to admit that when the rabbis are just telling you, saying you shouldn't do something, they say Chayiv, Misa, instead of just saying the more typical Isra. Why don't you say it's also to do it? Why do they say, if you do it, you have the death sentence? <laughs> it must be, he says, that they really think that it has to be that way. Dafka Taninu. Okay. So that's his point. That don't all, don't automatically assume it's hyperbole when they say Chayiv Misa, because they could have just used, again, you could disagree and say they were just excited about this and they wanted to make sure you didn't do it. <laughs> but then David Schiffman, not Chaim Chizki Medini, says, I want to bring the shadow of a proof to this. So he quotes here the Siddur Tfilah Derach HaChayim Unohura HaSholem. And this is a Siddur that was printed in the 1850s, late 1850s, early 1860s, I believe, by the most one of the most famous authors in, in Jewish history, uh, Solomon or Shlomo Gansfried, the, the author of the Kitzur Shulchan Aruch. He wanted to he wanted to to publish a siddur that could be used and also be a halachic guide as well while you're using it. And uh, it was in its time a very beautiful siddur printed. And he got he came into partnership with uh, with another author. Now what he did again to sort of a little background it's maybe not uh, maybe a little bit unnecessary, but what he tried to do was in, in, include the psakim of an earlier sitter from the great Chavastas, Rabbi Yaakov Loberon, the author of the Nesiva Samishpat, the Makor Chaim and Hilchas Pesach, a very, very revered writer who wrote laws of, 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 of what the laws of, that are relevant to the sitter. And what he did was he updated them. I mean, he is a, a halachist himself, Gansri, mm-hmm. and he updated them and, and added and put things <coughs> On the other, and you'll see on the other side of the page, actually I'm going to show you right now what, what, what this sitter is. Mm-hmm. Oh, the other way. <laughs> All right. Okay. Here's a, a sample page of the sitter. This is Gansfried's work on Loberbum, Derech HaChayim. And then you have a more sort of like... It's halacha mixed with what we call chasidus or philosophy. Nahir Sholem, the, the big light, the great light. Nahir Sholem. So here you see on the left here, the laws of Megillah, what brachas you make. The law is very, very straightforward. On the, and this is Gansfried. On the other side, we have Aaron Halevi, I don't know what his last name was now exactly, who wrote, who helped him print this book. And it's a very nice compendium, but take a look what it is. <laughs> this is the source. Okay. Now we know, especially we had this year, it was pretty hard to fast because till you get, it was late, they changed the clock. Right. And <coughs> you know what? No cheating. <laughs> Wait for Megillah reading to be a night. Why? Right? The heat says I'll go have him. You know, a lot of people might have said, let's just do the Megillah right after the sun goes down. This way people can eat and another, right? right. 
And, and by some chassidim, by the way, they they eat before Kriya Samagila. Many people don't. It's a question of halacha. Once you have a mitzvah to do, that we're afraid if you would eat, you would get caught up in eating, you wouldn't read the Megillah. But anyway, but this is what he's really uh, uh, he's really addressing himself to. That's, uh, he's saying that, he's telling his audience who would want to cheat on this, that they should. And then he brings, why? Because can be dinner the Gemara. It's from the Gemara he has to be at night. Because Amr Vishua bin Levi, Chayev Adam Likros HaMegillah Belayla. Okay. The Kaboa Mikad Monim, we have a tradition. The Kol Mokom Shenizkar Begemara Beloshen Chiyuv, Tzorach HaOdom Lohamnes Atzmo Aleha. Wherever it says, Chiyuv, I have a tradition that it means you need to go to the point of death almost for it. Now, put it in perspective. He's not saying, what does it mean? He's saying, look, don't tell me, don't, don't tell me, have somebody coming in here for a second. Um, playing up. Yeah, is it possible we could study a little bit later? Sure. Okay, because I've had to re-record. Okay. Thank you. So he says, don't tell me that um, I have to eat. It says Chayev. Chayev means you gotta you got to read the Megillah at night. Don't start reading it during the day. And then in order to back it up, he sort of like brings out this idea that we have a tradition where if it says Kabbalah, you have to be really, give your life for it. And this would be a very weak place to prove that you have to give up go to the point of getting physically ill. Okay. But this is what um, Schiffman found. He had the sitter. He found, and he was happy, he found what he called the shadow of a proof. And this is what he says when he quotes it. We've read it. I found in the sitter at Tefillah by Purim that he has a Kabbalah that if it says Chayev, you have to kill yourself. He says, Umatu Gam. Now, it came to where? It's not in the Siddur there. Bishem Hagro, which assuming is the Vilna Gon, Shoya Mishtaki, Mishtaki, Bapurim, Kipshuto, Adalasakono. Because it says, Machai Vinish, Upsumi, Bapuria, that's Mishai Vinasho. And for sure, he says, if it says the word Chai of Misa, which is his whole point. If it says the word Chai of Misa, then it's for sure. But even the word Chayev means you have to almost, how much, it, how important it is. So Schiffman, without referencing where he knows it from, says, it came to me, Matubay, it came to me or to him or to someone in the name of the Gon. Without, without really <laughs> sourcing it. And in the, in the Svarim, the, when the Gon speaks about, when they speak about the Gon's Hanhogos, it's never, it's not mentioned. Again, Maybe, again, I haven't done the most thorough research. I haven't gone through every single book. But to me, like I said, Schiffman himself, I think, has admitted that he's not the most reliable in many ways. Not, the most, not the most careful, right? <clears throat> Maybe he could be if he want to. But this, he's really just throwing it. It's really not, it's not the topic of how far you have to go for mitzvahs. So, this, look, for Chochem Avadia to find this piece and his son to quote it is, is nice. But I really believe it, it represents. I don't think. I, I think it's really an aberration. Yes, and I, it's, it's sort of in the. And if you look in the, in the whole context, <laughs> it would be wrong. I think, and that's really the problem sometimes of over over scholasticism. Sometimes you know. Now let's put up the opinions. When it's on the gone, when it comes to mitzvahs, no. Again, I, I don't believe it. And uh, again, it needs perhaps a little bit more research. But I think I'm, I'm negating that. 
However, um, what is, it, it really begs the question, how far do you have to go? So, um, let's see. <laughs> let's go back to our, go back to our sources here. Um, and again, I found a similar statement um, using another great rabbi. <laughs> uh, and you can see here, uh, not the Vilna Gaon, but the Chacham Tzvi. You might have heard him about him. He was the rabbi in Amsterdam. He was a he was an Ashkenazi rabbi who was the rabbi of the Sephardim in Amsterdam. They called him Chacham, hmm. Chacham Tzvi. And even though you know he was before the time of the Chassidim, there's sort of a tradition that, um, again, the, the Chassidim knew who he was. Uh, he came right before the advent of Chassidus. But as you can see here, this is from the um, the Kloisenberger Rebbe. He says that I heard from, a, the the Rebbe himself says, I heard from my father, Adoni Ovi Mori Urabi, that heard from the holy mouth of his grandfather, who would be, I believe, and again, maybe I'm wrong in the generations, but it would be known as Reb Chaim of uh, uh, Halberstam, of Tzans. And uh, we talked about in the class is that when we look at the great Hasidic poskin, you know, many times Hasidim are known as saints and scholars, saints more than scholars. He w- was able to stand his ground with the scholars. Um, you know, we talk about the the Alter Rebbe of, of, of Shnezaman of Liadi, the Ger uh his grandson, the Svasemis. These are names that people, the Avni Nezer, Rabavram Bornstein. These are names of Hasidic Rebbes who who really wield a big stick in halacha as well. And it's not like uh, you know, I don't. They have their they 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 play a role. Similarly, this man. Who's being quoted here, uh, Chaim Halberstam as well. And again, but like a Rebbe, he's going to say things like this: that when he once was very ill, he made a cheshbon in his nefesh about, I guess, looking into, I guess, with some sort of ultra spirituality about who he's connected to, and he saw that he's connected in some way to a to a relative of his, a couple of generations above him, the famous Chacham Tzvi. But he said, "I'm only connected to the Chacham Tzvi with the with the thinness of a hair, Kachuta Saira." Um, and he said, "Oh, it's too bad that it's only." But I do still feel that connection to him. Now, what did that mean? So it said that he would say, um, and maybe here he's. It's unclear if he's quoting. Um, that um, he's quoting the 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 Rav Chaim Halberstam again, but here's it might be. B'chol Purim, he used to say, Everyone knows how much I value intellect. And if you would give me anything in the world, I wouldn't drink, because when you drink, what happens is you lose clarity in your mind. But my grand, but I heard again. This is something again. My grandfather Chacham Tzvi would say, almost the exact thing that we saw before in the name of the Vilna Gon. So therefore, we need to be moser our nefoshos on this. So here, once again, I, I, it's hard. I, I can't argue with the Rebbe here. Look, 
I, I can say the Chacham Abadiyah might have, in a sense, put the Vilna Gon in a place where I don't think the Vilna Gon really was. But here we have a tradition, once again, from another great posseg, <laughs> that you need to put yourself in Messiris Nefesh. And because of that, the, it's either the Divrei Chaim or the Kloisenberger's father would say, no, let's drink. <laughs> I really shouldn't drink because I, I don't want to lose my head. I don't want to get brain cells that are damaged by the alcohol. <laughs> so the Kloisenberger wrote, the Reb himself wrote, that I looked, just like I did a, like a, a search on the Vilna Gaon, I looked in the Chacham Tzvi, I couldn't find anything. But listen, if my, if, if the, if, if my great grandfather said that, my grandfather or great grandfather ever was said it, it must, it must have had a tradition. So this does seem to strengthen the cause. Once again, he found the sitter, right? That same sitter that I showed you. And look, it says in the sitter that, right, right. right. Um, so, so uh again that's every that was a, a source to that and he also right and he also found the stechemed as well quoting again the Vilna Gon. um all right uh again be that as it may in fact he the Kleisenberger assumes it's so true <laughs> that he says that in the famous story of Robin Rabzera which we know that, uh, you know, the Gemara says that while they were in a drunken feast, that uh, Rabba, the Amora, got up, and it, it sounds like he literally killed Rabzeir. He actually, maybe, who knows what was going on. There's a lot of discussion about come Rabba v'shochad Rabzeir. Rabba got up in the feast, and he s- slaughtered Rabzeir. And then the Gemara says that he, 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 he davened for him after the feast was over, the Purim feast was over, and he was able to restore his life. So the Gemara says that the next year he invited him again. <laughs> and he said, no, we can't depend on a miracle every year. <laughs> so, um, before I saw this, everybody would say the idea of the story is Reb Rabba, in his drunkenness, uh, was ready to kill someone. Mm-hmm. And he did. Or at least pushed him to the edge. And from the fact that Reb says, I'm not going again, shows a condemnation of, 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 of that type of behavior. So it's interesting that Kloisenberg actually uh, suggests that maybe we don't know who was talking to who. So he says that maybe Reb wanted to go back again. So he says that Reb Zeira It wasn't that Rabba wants Reb again. Reb who had been the victim, actually wanted to go again. Because he wants to be Meister Nefesh, right? Because going to a poor suit and drinking, even though you're going to be in Sakana, because there might be some Meshugana there who might kill you, you still have to do it. And Rabba said, no, look, uh, you know, it's one thing if I get drunk, but uh, if I think I can hurt someone else, I'm not going to do it. It's actually, he flips it. Right. Instead of saying that Rabba, hey, let's get go drunk again, it's actually Reb Zeru who says, look, I'm not upset that we did that because I just did what the Chacham Tzvi said you're supposed to do, or the Vilna Gaon, you're supposed to actually endanger yourself, and I don't care. <laughs> um so again, I, I really think this is taking it to a point. Again, we talked about the, the again we're me- we mentioned the Naim Elimelech, and here we have you know the actions of of Rebis, um in, in in this area. Um, just to go back on that, um, 
see where that was, is that um, <laughs> now you take a look here at um, something else that Kloisenberger wrote, and um, that, that the Dibre Chaim, who I mentioned, Chaim Halberstam, let's take it from Purim to Pesach, um, the last year of his life, Bishnos Chayev Achrona, so again, the doctors must have been telling him that he shouldn't be eating, and even so, he went to uh, to eat matzah and mora, even though it was to the point of of of, of life being life threatening, mm-hmm. and he made the bracha, which again, he made a bracha also. He didn't just say, "I'm doing it when I don't have to." I am commanded to do it. He made a bracha on that. Indicating again, the point being, the reason why he's emphasizing this is that you might have thought, hey, you're doing something you shouldn't be halachically doing. Maybe that's an average. You shouldn't be making a bracha. Yet he made a bracha on it, and he explained himself. Oh, this is a tradition of, of of explaining why did he do it. He says, I want to show my children, I guess we're at the Seder, and they'll tell their children after them, on any mitzvah daraisa, the Rabbana, like Morar is, even a minig. And on that, Rav Osher Weiss, uh, who is a chosid, and a Talmud of the Kweiserberger Rebbe, says, I find this strange. How could the, the Dibre Chaim have made a brocha? He was potter from it. The doctors told him he was in danger. So his bracha is a bracha of Atala. <laughs> so again, so this is, this is Rav Asher Weiss to write a, a piece on this. But again, it brings up perhaps the actions of Rebbes in ways that don't necessarily seem to jive with Halacha, but and yet it makes you feel like, maybe should, is this where we should go? Mm-hmm. Um, a, a topic which I want to cover a little bit more, maybe next time, is Yom Kippur, where there is a, um, you know, Rabbi Unterman uh, writes, let's see if we have it here, it's 14 uh, editions, so it's going to be here somewhere. Let's keep on going. <laughs> here we go. All right. Um, so Rabbi Unterman writes that he's, as, as a rabbi, and as he was the chief rabbi as well, um, isn't it in there? Is that in one of the ones that I that I sent here? Sick over mitzvahs. Thought it was here. Um, Rav Unterman said that he was constantly um, uh, bombarded by questions about people who wanted to fast on pace on, on, on Kippur when they didn't have to, and people who were stubbornly insisting that that's the way they were going to do it. Even to the point that there's actually a tradition for one of the Baliatesis, the Riva, that it's, it's written in a couple of early Sfarim, was told not to fast on Yom Kippur, and he fasted, and he died. Hmm. So, you know, you, we have people's, you know, stubbornness that they're going to do the mitzvah, but it would seem from a Luchit standard, you know, it would seem to be, it would seem, seem to be improper. Um, one of the earliest sources that I found on um, on I'm getting ill over mitzvahs was this Rashba, uh, which I said, you know, it's it's not about this, uh, matzah, it's about drinking. So here's was the question, and the Rashba was asked, and you can see it up here. Um, he says, Mishen Eshel Seyayin Kol Ashana. 
again, the Rashba lived in the 13th century. Again, there's thousands of chubas to the Rashba uh, that we have. Uh, he's one of the most prolific of the uh, of the decisors, and uh, he writes that uh, someone who didn't drink wine all year because he knew it mazika, it bothered him. So now again, what does mazik here mean? Is a question. That was the way the term is, is written, and that's the way it eventually gets in the Shulchan Aruch, mm-hmm. that even though wine is mazik you, or let's say this one, of course, is different, sono. Okay, that's that you just don't like it. <laughs> but the question was, okay, I'm not going to use wine. Let me use pas. So the Rashba wrote, if you've got wine, you have to push yourself and do it. Now, the Rashba brought two precedents from the Talmud, from a Tanoyim, Rabbi Yehuda Bar Eloi, the Talmud of Rabbi Yehuda. That's Rabbi Yehuda. That's the famous Rabbi Yehuda in Shas, Rabbi Yehuda Bar Eloi. So the Gemara in Adarim says that he didn't, he wasn't a wine drinker, but he would drink Dawud Kosos. And he said, I had to tie up my temples. Now, seemingly, he had such... Hmm vibrations and migraine sort of speak. You have to like tie his temples up like right? And I from Pesach to Shavuos. After Pesach he walked around oh it's it hurts. I'm in pain. And that's what he used to do, not just once. He did it every year. So the Rashba says you see that 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 then he quotes the Yershalmi, that's in the Bavli, quotes the Yershalmi a similar thing about Rabyona. That and it says clearly the Chazak Reshe, his head was pounding from Tushvus. <laughs> so you see that people now again, what are what happened? Did it? What's you can imagine if you think about it that these were great men, Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Yona, men that people needed them for their advice and for their wisdom. Maybe they had such incredible minds that they were able to be themselves, even with the migraine. But it's not logical to assume that. Right. <laughs> it's logical to assume that if you're walking around with headaches and a migraine, you're not the same person. <laughs> so, the, and, it, and it didn't happen one year, it happened every year. So the Rashba says, you see, that when it comes to doing a mitzvah, the mitzvah is what's upon you now, and the consequences, I'm not going to say be damned, but it sounds like the consequences... Are, now again, that's not necessarily that they. There's no sakona here, but clearly it's illness. <clears throat> there's no illness. That, right? Oh, that's another point. That it's not an injury. Well, it could be it gave you the buzz originally, but it's the consequence. Maybe there was an oneg at the time of <clears throat> drinking it. Right. But, that's great. But then, sure. Uh, but this, every year he knows he has these same results. So it's hard to feel good. Person. That's right. So in other words, logical. I know I'm going to feel good when I drink it, but I know what's going to happen. So right. in other words, why do I still do it then? That's a good point, uh, Leon. It's a good point. Uh, in other words, it sort of takes away from the, the whole point of drinking the Dawid Kosas is to feel like the sense of being a melech or being a free man. and Right? You know what this is going to do to you. How could you be able to? And again, maybe you would be able to balance himself in some way. Um but it's but this is not just an obscure Rashba. <clears throat> right. This is becomes Shulchan Aruch. The, if you could take a look here in the Shulchan Aruch in Hilchas Pesach, it says Tov Samach Bay, Tov Ayin Bays, Misha Eino Shosa, 
Mipnei Shemaziko, if you don't drink wine because it's mazik, you tzorach litchok atzma v'lishtos. So this is this is a word for word uh, taking a quote from the Rashba. Mm-hmm. Now, um, this uh, is the next source here is from the Chidah. The Chidah, of course, uh, before the days of Chaim Yosef David Azulai, um, all right, and yeah, Azulai starts standing for Isha Zona Vachavola Loi Kachu because he was a Kohen. So that's where Azulai comes, Isha Zona Vachavola That's where the name comes from. So he, Chaim Yosef David Azulai, uh, was one of the great, he's called the Gon Chida by the Sephardim because he was the, the, the incredible memory and incredible, uh, knowledge he had. And, and a lot of it was gained, um, when he actually was a, uh, we'll call him a Shulach because that's sort of a denigration. He's called a Shliach from Eretz Yisrael, collecting for Tzedakos in Eretz Yisrael for Yikolim. And he spent a lot of his life in Chutzlar. It's actually meeting the great rabbis and seeing their libraries and, Writing the stuff down and getting the stuff printed, getting farm printed. Um, so he uh, wrote a, a, a masterpiece on Shulchan Aruch called Bircha Yosef, and he quotes another Yosef, Rosh Yosef. I'm not sure if this is the Primagodim or not. That says that um, what about another halacha, Sukkah? When it comes to Sukkah, we say that a mitzvah is potter. Right, that if a person's a mitzvah, a person is pained by sitting outside in the sukkah, that he doesn't have to sit in the sukkah. Right. So how does this jive with what the Rashba said about Dalit Kosos? <laughs> so the Chido says here, lo kashamide. I don't believe this is a question at all. Sukkah is unique among mitzvahs. Well, he's actually going to say sukkah and one other one is unique. He says sukkah. I skipped something here. Right? He says, um, he says, Dafka Gabi Sukkah. We say a mitzvah is potter minasuka. Why? Because it says, Teshvu came to Doru. You need to live in it like you normally would. And that would be a normal, comfortable place that you'd pick to live. But if there are other mitzvahs, there isn't any special basic. So, uh, even a person who is mitzvah, and even if it's a rabbinic mitzvah, even if it pains you to do the mitzvah, you have to do it. Um, and then he quotes the Rambam in Hilchas Tillin. And Hilchas is another place where it isn't the pain so much that makes you potter, but this is sort of what you were saying before, Leon, that if you're in pain, then you're thinking about your pain. Tillin, because it has the names of God that, that, that are bound so strongly on your arm and on your head, you can't if you're in a state of mind where where you're not thinking about that and you're thinking and nothing about the tefillin, then you shouldn't be putting on tefillin. So tefillin demands concentration. Right. You, if, if you have pain, if you're in a state of pain, then the mitzvah, it's not, be, right, it's not because... Right. Now, uh, the, the chidah mentions here, well... That's if a that's a person who's in a very bad state. He doesn't wear tefillin if he if he if he knows that he can't. But what about what would be more uh, comparable is a person who the tefillin itself gives him pain. 
so he actually quotes this Yerushalmi, the Chido, that a person was Choshesh Barosho. He had some sort of either head issue or maybe a head problem. And because of that, um, he had a problem putting tefillin on. At least the tefillin shorosh, tefillin shoyari put on. So um, the, the the assumption of the, who the Chidah is quoting, the Beis Yosef and others, is that the reason why he doesn't, that person doesn't put on tefillin is because he can't concentrate. But not because the tefillin is giving him pain. He says, Hare... He says, "Mitzvahs poter mitfilin, even though it's 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 it's, it's right." Shatzar bo mitzara mitzvah, gam be mitzar mitzara mitzvah, even though the mitzvah is giving you pain. If it wouldn't be for the fact that tefillin like needs yishevadas, so again, sukkah needs comfort that you would choose to be your home, and you would never be in a home that's constantly giving you mental or physical anguish or over cold or whatever it is. But that's a special thing about how we fulfill sukkah. Similarly, he says, tefillin, because of the the mental demands it has, but the fact he says you're in pain wouldn't make a difference. Because the whole reason why they say that the man quoted in this medrash who had maybe he had scars on his head, who knows, he had whatever, sure. that made it painful to put the tefillin on, wasn't because, oh, you shouldn't pain yourself over tefillin. <laughs> the reason is, is because, um, the reason is, is because uh, you need to be mentally acute. What about the fact that there's no mitzvah in pain? So from these places, the, he actually assumes that these are the outliers, sukkah and tefillin, but other mitzvahs, even though it means a, a mental pain, hmm. uh, that you would have to submit yourself to that. Hmm. That is what the Chida <clears throat> says. Now, none of this is really to the point of Mesir Nefesh, of actually giving up your life. Right. But still, it sounds like maybe... <laughs> it, it's, well, it sounds like definitely a state of being uncomfortable. Let's just um, uh, finish off here, at least for today, with... Um, well, I'm going to tell you, um, I mean, there's a lot that, that, that needs to be said over here. Um, but I, uh, let's just finish off today with, with a, um, uh, an approach that Roshua Weiss after, uh, came, uh, you know, develops. He feels, well, now again, we still have to explain what the Dibre Chaim did about, and, and the people who on Yom Kippur ate when, uh, who fasted when they were told not to. And the Rechaim said, I'm going to show my, my, my children what it means to be Moser Nefesh. I mean, that still needs to be to, to be understood. Um, and maybe you know, we'll save that, that for, for, for this week. Um, but Rosh Hashanah says that he believes that uh, unless it's a very special extenuating circumstances, that one could really make a difference between two types of illness. There is an illness that definitely gives you discomfort, but doesn't create a lasting problem in the person's body. Um, for example, it could be the, uh, the, the 
cases the Rashba was quoting, the migraines went away. Right? And, yeah, they definitely were not feeling well for a little while, but that was the cost of the mitzvah. But it's not like the body became a weaker and a type of thing that they can never recover from. If it's something like that, well, the Ravasha Weiss quoting others who say the same thing, we know even for any mitzvah, you're not supposed to spend more than, you probably heard this before, man, you're not supposed to spend more than 20% of, of, of your available funds on a mitzvah. Even if you want to be extreme, and the reason is because when a person loses 20% of his of, of his funds, that's a sliding towards poverty. And that's something which most people don't ever get out of. And and, and, and then you're going to be sticking your hand out to do all these mitzvahs. In other words, look, I, I spent this extra money on, on, the, on the sukkah. I spent this money. No, no, no. If you do that... Look what you're going to be doing. You're going to be endangering your whole financial viability. Sure. So Rav Asher Weiss reasons, as does others before him, that the same thing should be true in your physical viability. If this is some, the same way, you know, you, can you recover? The rabbis made a pretty, I think, a pretty strong statement that if you lose twenty percent, most times when people lose twenty percent of what their savings. It usually causes a snowball effect because that's sort of, you know, we have the dike breaks. When you lose that 20%, then other stuff comes, happens, and then, you know, that that's sliding towards poverty, which usually you don't get out of. If if a physical situation is, is changed, now, he talks about celiac, which, again, is, 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 you know, my wife has not been tested for celiac disease, but there are uh, studies that indicate that this is a condition that if you have gluten could create infertility and other things which which you don't come which, which I don't know if you come back from you know I, I think without getting too graphic one of the things that celiacs have is um, gastrointestinal I mean, you probably are familiar gastro you've heard of the gastrointestinal right. issues that people have so is the, does, is that going to cause <laughs> You know, uh, uh, the celiac in your, the, the, the gluten in your system, is that going to cause a, a, a perforation of the intestinal walls in a way that you're not going to be able to recover right. from? Are you going to have these, whatever? So I think that would be the point. If it's the type of thing that will cause an irreversible situation, an infirmity, then the, you shouldn't really be demanded to do that for the mitzvah. Right. That's what Rav Weiss says. Now, he has, of course, he comes from a tradition of, of Tzadik and who did that. What, 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 what could have been their rationale to do it? So maybe what, part of what we can maybe uh, develop here is that there were people, as we know in our history, we started with Purim today, but you know, we, there were people like Mordechai who actually, in a way, sort of you know, pushed his way to... Some cipher says he wasn't trying to endanger the old Jewish people. He wanted to die in Kiddush Hashem. Hmm. You know, he he really was ready to die to show because to show that he wasn't going to you know, bow to the Abu or whatever Haman represented. Now, of course, he could have done something a lot easier, which was not show up <laughs> and just make himself <laughs> like make himself scarce. But he actually did whatever he could. Right. 
So we find from Mordechai's actions, the way they're explained, and, and, and even before Mordechai, the famous, you know, Hanan and Mishal Vazariah, who allowed themselves, you know, who walked by the great statue of Nebuchadnezzar, had set up, and they said, we're not bowing down, and were thrown into the fiery furnace, whereas the, the, the Gemara says, where was Daniel, who was their friend up at that point, and why wasn't he one of the four, why wasn't there four heroes? Because Daniel said, I'm not, I'm just not going to show up. <laughs> right? In other words, <coughs> if, I, if I don't please work right when you're allowed to do that you don't have to give up your life in other words you, if, if you're caught and they say it's either Judaism you know either you know renounce your Judaism by doing this though then that, that's the situation where we're put in a state of, of Kiddush Hashem but to actually force the situation of Kiddush Hashem to actually go out of your way and to say I know I didn't have to give him my but I want to create that situation mm-hmm. are you allowed to do that the Rambam says uh, in Hilchus Yisodi Torah that someone who does that is not considered law of the tree. Someone who is was he says if a person was had the ability to to violate the law and live and to be able to fulfill the mitzvahs the other day, but decided he wants to die for the law. He says the Rambam says I raise him as Chayav That person we're talking about Yisrael. He, he died. He's no saint. <laughs> Whereas the Baliatesis and Mukayosef and others say that a person who takes the pulse of the generation and sees that this is important has a right to to actually give up their lives when they didn't have to. So <laughs> the question is, would this be applicable here in our case, where there's an illness in in other words, in the case I just mentioned, you actually sort of like you know, start up with the dragon in order to create a situation right. that you want the world to see that I stood up for Judaism and that I was willing. To, I didn't have to be there, but I wanted. I wanted to. I wanted people to know that we die for our for for our God. And again, if we, if we, it doesn't take much of an imagination to see that the period of Mordechai. It was a period of assimilation. It was a period of look. The names and the Megillah themselves indicate that right. Mordach, Ishtar. These are, you know, whatever. However, you understand the great Shuba process. Part of it was understanding Jewish identity and maybe yeah, sure. to die for Jewish identity. If Mordechai, you know, he didn't necessarily like the Chassam Sofer says he was. It was a shock to him that it turns out to be a, a, a annihilation decree. He just wanted to 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 die as a saint to make a point. Now, if that attitude can be assumed by if you're great enough, then maybe you know tzaddikim, people like the Noam Elimelech and others, <laughs> can make that can gauge what they what they're seeing and says, you know, you know, I want you to see this now. Can they delineate? at least the idea that mitzvahs are important. Maybe they don't necessarily want people emulating them. <laughs> In other words, Mordechai and Daniel, I'm sorry, Mechanai and Lazar didn't necessarily want other people to kill themselves. What they wanted to do by showing that type of uh, fervor and sacrifice was this is what a mitzvah is. And I know you're just going to live your life, but it's going to be a different life because you're going to remember the image of of that, so 
this is walking a fine line, but sure. I, but but I think sure. it's I think it's understood. I, I, I'm never, I'm not I'm not going to be the closing. I'm not going to be the the, the I'm not going to be the Divrechaim. I'm not going to be able to to, to be such a a, a, a saint. <laughs> For sure, I'm not a scholar either, but I I saw from that what a mitzvah is, and I'm somehow able to take the impression. I'm not this specific mitzvah, because this specific mitzvah you don't have to give, but in general that there's a God and his commands are crucial. If there's a period when people are afraid that that isn't going to be relevant, then maybe that's what the Debre Chaim means when he says he wants his children to know. Right. It was a period that, <coughs> that there was doubts, even maybe, uh, and you never know how those doubts can creep in. We know what happened in the, the end of the 19th century, maybe in the 20th century, we know what it was like, and even very what we, you know, in, 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 in Warsaw and Budapest and these places, mm-hmm. we have images and pictures, and it's still with us today. So maybe, in some way, you know, this type of mesiras nefesh for for mitzvahs can be halachically sanctioned if it's done by the right person. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there is some precedent, perhaps, to even and even in some way even make a bracha for it, but. Um, from the fact that you know it's the person doing it, you know you're not going to, that's not going to be me. But I'm definitely going to take my mitzvahs more seriously. <laughs> I'm not going to let my, get myself sick for it. But I'm not, you know, and I'm going to understand that I don't need, and I shouldn't make myself sick for right. it. But this was a, a, a period, this was this was necessary for the time for it to happen. And that's a judgment call people have to make. Daniel, look, Daniel made a different call than Hanani Mishael Vazaria. Mordechai himself also was unsure if he made the right call. Sometimes there isn't clarity as to you know what should be the, the what should be the, sure. the path. Right. And, the, and 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 you're going to sometimes feel something internally, but we'll see. So I think this is really at least the beginning of an approach uh, to understand. So we'll see. Maybe this week we'll, we'll talk more about. Uh, the specific issues of, of matzah and, and wine and see if there sure. might be some other ways. Okay. Thank you, Leon, for, sure, for, for we were able to, to pretty much recreate. <laughs> okay. Thank you for the learning with me. I appreciate it. My, my, my pleasure. Okay. I can help. Okay. Now let me uh, see how I turn this baby <laughs> off. Thanks for joining us for another episode from the Yeshiva of Newark at IDT Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode.